morning. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, well, we are uh, excited to be here today. I just got to say, last week it was such a blessing to have those baptisms, to hear those testimonies. I hope you were encouraged as I was. Um, I'm also just encouraged just by seeing people uh, serve in areas where they're gifted, but also take leaps of faith and uh, do things maybe that they're new at. And so I was excited to see the the middle schoolers and uh, upper elementary singing today as well. And before we start, I, I do have a quick announcement. As was mentioned in the prayer, uh, Ron and Becky Schroeder are moving to Wisconsin to be next door to their son. I'm not going to make him come up here, but if you can, you can wave. Uh, so, yeah, anyways, well, everybody else is waving, so nobody knows who they are. But anyways, if you know them, uh, they've been... They've been attending North Park here for now for 42 years, so that's uh, the same time I've been alive. And uh, but they have both served in a number of different capacities. Uh, right now, Ron is a mercy deacon and an usher, a tremendous encouragement to me as a pastor. And uh, Becky serves in a number of different capacities and was the nursery coordinator for years, and serves on the missions committee. Her and Ron with us and. Uh, and she led the Friendship Club for many years, so we're going to deeply miss them. So on your way out, there's a, a big card, and so I encourage all of you to sign that card. They're not leaving until uh, like after Christmas, but uh, we just want to make sure you guys know so we, everybody can give them a hug and say goodbye, and hopefully they visit often because we love them and we'll miss them. All right, let's pray and we'll begin. Dearly Father, uh, Lord, you are so, so good. And uh, last week, just to hear the testimonies of lives changed, Lord, because you love us and you sent your son to die for us, he provided a way for us to have life. And we thank you and praise you for that salvation. And uh, Lord, we also know in the midst of the hustle and bustle of life, it can be easy for us to lose sight of who you are or to get so frustrated by the surroundings that maybe we get frustrated with you are upset with you, and we see that with the Israelites. So today, as we look at this last passage in Malachi, we just pray that you'd speak through it today. In your name we pray. Amen. Outrage. We live in a culture of outrage. Last Sunday, uh, the college football playoff committee chose for the first time ever to leave an undefeated Power 5 champion off the last four for the championship games. They instead brought in a one-loss Alabama and a one-loss Texas. And I personally don't have skin in the game, so I wasn't very upset about it, but there was outrage all throughout America. In fact, the Florida governor proposed to add a million dollars to the budget to pay for legal fees so they could sue the college football playoff committee, which I don't really get that. See, outrage isn't just in sports. Sports really, you know, there's something we love to do, but they don't have a big impact in our life. Sometimes we are outraged about the right kind of things. You know, just this week was reading a story about how America is, is bringing war crimes against Russia because there were these Americans that were tortured, and, and, and in fact, 30 Americans that were killed in Ukraine, and bringing war crimes against Hamas for the atrocities they committed in Israel during the attack and what they've done with the hostages. There are things that are good to be outraged about, good to be upset about. But sometimes when we get really upset and we find ourselves focusing on all the situations that exist around the world, we can ask the question, is God here? Does God care? Why isn't God intervening? 
Why is God allowing evil to continue? In fact, that's what the Israelites continued to ask in Malachi. They looked at the surrounding nations that were prosperous and they were struggling. They had to question, God, why don't you act on them? Now, the big picture was that they were actually wicked. They were actually evildoers. And they were actually ones that should be experiencing God's judgment. So God called them to return to me, he says, return to me and I will return to you. See, the nation of Israel had been denying God's love. They had been defiling his name by bringing bad sacrifices. They had been profaning his name by being unfaithful to each other and unfaithful in their marriages. They had accused God of injustice. They had neglected the temple by withholding their tithes. And last week we looked at how they were questioning God. And they were saying, is it really worth it to follow God? But in the midst of that, There was a faithful remnant, a group in Israel that had continued to fear the Lord. And God called them his treasured possession. So last week we looked at the sixth and final speech. But if you were going through it, you might have been saying, Phil, it seems like the speech actually goes through verse 3 of chapter 4. It seems like it doesn't really end at 3.18. And you're probably right. There's not a lot of debate about whether it ends at 18 or ends at chapter 4. But last week I decided not to do that debate because we had a baptism and communion. So I said, I'm just going to end at 18. Uh, So today I'm going to pick up the last part of that last speech and then we're going to get to the conclusion of what uh, what God wants to say to the nation of Israel. So let's review quickly what we did last week. Verse 13 of chapter 3. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? Next one. You have said it's futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements, going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? And we looked at how they were basically not truly following God, but they said it's futile to serve you. But now we call the arrogant blessed. They looked around and they said, certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. But God responded that then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. There was this distinction. There were those that didn't fear the Lord and they were talking amongst each other and complaining about God. But there were those who did fear the Lord that when they talked with each other, they talked about God's goodness. And so God said a scroll of remembrance was written in the presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name, that God was writing down their good deeds and was going to reward them. And lastly, this judgment day is coming. Verse 18, on that day, on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion on his son who serves him. But there's something different for those that you will see, again, the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. That's the future judgments, this coming day of the Lord. The book of of Malachi is pointing forward. Now, it's interesting. Whenever you look at Old Testament prophecy, what we find is that as it points forward, there's often a partial fulfillment in when Christ came and then this complete fulfillment that will come on the day of the Lord in the future. So there's we're kind of in this weird phase now where we're in the now and not yet. 
We've experienced all the, there's hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And we've experienced those. But yet there's still this day coming. There's still, Christ is still going to come a second time and he's going to return. And we could see it in, in John 3. Most of us know this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So we come on Christmas time, we come to church and we celebrate that Jesus was born. He was born in the humble town of Bethlehem to humble parents. He was laid down in a feeding trough to be put to sleep. That is our Savior. But why do we celebrate Christmas? Verse 17 of John 3. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. The first time Jesus came, it was not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Christ was born. He grew up as a humble carpenter. He spent three years traveling in ministry, healing the sick, healing the blind, spending time with the the sinners and tax collectors, restoring the broken, proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom. And ultimately, he died on the cross for our sins, rose again, ascended to heaven, and is now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. In Christ's first coming, he didn't come as a judge. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to lay down his life as a penalty for our sins. He came to save us. But when he comes back, he is coming as a judge. On Wednesday, uh, Jared was doing a lesson in youth group, and he had the, the students close their eyes, and he had them imagine what they think their future spouse would be. You know, Would they be tall or short would they be, you know, athletic or funny? All these different things. And it made me laugh because when I was in youth group, my uh, youth pastor did a similar thing, but he, he made it way more awkward than Jared did. What he did was he gave us pieces of paper, and we had to go and find someone of the opposite sex, and we had to tell them what we were looking for in a future mate. And so we had to circle all these things that we were looking for. And Sandy, at the time, I didn't know it, liked me, and so she decided to find me. And she was very disappointed because I circled all the things that were opposite of her. So like, like tall or short, oh, definitely tall. You know, athletic or funny, I want someone athletic that loves sports. And I, everything was the opposite of what she thought. And so she walked away kind of frustrated, thinking she didn't have a shot. But for those of us that are married, you, you realize that sometimes what we were expecting our spouse to be is not what our spouse ended up being. That's kind of why they say often opposites attract. I kind of wanted like another Phil. It's a good thing I didn't marry one. But, but the, the thing is, like, what we expect to happen is often not what's actually going to happen. And what we find is when we read Malachi, we can kind of get a picture of why the Israelites expected something different than Jesus. We can now start to put together a picture of why they were expecting one thing, And yet Jesus came bringing something completely different. Let's uh, go to chapter 4 of Malachi, verse 1. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will stubble, stubble, will be stubble, sorry. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a knot or a branch will be left to them. 
Now, how did the original audience interpret that? How did the Israelites during that time interpret it? They were thinking, okay, God's going to send a king to Israel, and he's going to judge all these evil and wicked nations. Not even realizing, again, all throughout Malachi, God was saying, you are the ones that are wicked. So Pastor John a few weeks ago said, God told them, be careful what you wished for, because all their focus on these things, they neglected to look back at their own immorality and disobedience. Now fast forward 400 years, and the, Jesus, and the Jews and Jesus, they were doing the exact same thing. What did they think the Messiah was going to do? This king is going to come, and he's going to overthrow Rome. And he's going to burn it down. There's not going to be a root or branch left in the kingdom of Rome. But instead, Jesus came as a servant. He came to seek and save the lost. He didn't come to defeat Rome. He came to defeat death. He didn't come to establish an earthly nation. He came to establish a spiritual kingdom. He didn't come to restore the nation of Israel. He came to redeem all people. Everyone who would put their faith and trust in him, whether it's Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, Jesus offered life. He didn't come to set Israel free from their captivity to Rome, but he came to set us free from our captivity to sin. He didn't, ultimately, he came to die. He came to die. Why? Because we were under a curse. And we could not earn our way to heaven. So Jesus came to die, to suffer, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could have life. But we know that one day he will come back. And when he comes back, he will come back as judge. He will enact justice. He will restore what is broken. He will rule as a righteous king. But we are not at that day yet. We're in the middle. We're in the now and not yet. For those that don't know the Lord, that's a day to fear. But for us that do know the Lord, that's a day that's something to look forward to. Why? Well, let's read verse 2. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. For whom is this day a good day? Well, it's the same people as listed in Malachi 3 that feared the Lord. It's those that feared the Lord and honored His name. Those that are a treasured possession, God calls them. Those about whom God is writing a scroll of remembrance. Those people will be spared on that day. And if you've put your trust and faith in Jesus, you can look forward to that day. You won't, you won't be in the fire. You'll be saved from the judgment. You'll experience blessing. And the Son of Righteousness will rise. Now, this is the only time this phrase is used in the scriptures and um, one of my favorite places to vacation is on the east coast because it's not too far away still close enough you can drive but if you're on the beach in the east coast the sun rises in the east and so i have to do something i don't love to do but i love to do on vacation is get up early and get up early and you watch the sunrise and there's just this man there's nothing better than the landscape of the ocean and the sun rising on it the sun, when it rises, it, it, it brings life. It's a sign of life. Plants need the sun for life. We need the vitamin D that the sun provides. And the Bible describes the Lord's second coming to believers as the sun of righteousness rising. 
the, the Old Testament talks about God and the Son and, and, and makes some parallels, but it's this idea of joy and gladness. Now, it's not just going to rise. It's going to rise with healing and its rays. Now, the word rays uh, is also translated wings. It's used three other times in the Scriptures. Uh, one is wings of a bird in, in Genesis. Another place that's used to describe the wings of an angel. Another place that's actually used in 1 Samuel to describe the, the, the edge of a cloak, the edge of your, your tunic. And the Israelites in those days believed that a right, the, the tunic of a righteous person brought healing. And so that's why, if you remember the story, when Jesus was walking through the crowds, this woman reached out and touched the edge of his cloak, and she was healed. It's this idea that, that God will bring healing. God will bring restoration. God will bring life. The day of the Lord is both justice and restoration. Complete healing. And what's the result of that healing? Joy. In the wintertime, the Israelites would put their calves in for the winter. And when the time came in the spring, they opened the doors. Uh, those calves would be so excited. I put a little quick video here um, of a calf. This is a, a calf that was, uh, that was rescued. And this is his first time now going out in the field after being, after being healed. And you can see his frockling and it's all excited. And, uh, that's, that picture is what we see in the scriptures. For us as believers, on that day, we will be full of, of unadulterated joy. We will, this will be a, a moment to look forward to. But then it turns. Then you will trample on the wicked. And they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. What, what is God saying here? Why is God making that quick shift? Remember the context. What was the Israelites' complaint? God, when are you going to act? How long are you going to let this go on? When are you going to intervene? And God says, on that day, I will intervene. I will fulfill my promise. And that wraps up the sixth speech. And so these last three verses are kind of God's closing remarks. As we get ready to read them, I want you to realize that these three verses are the last three verses for 400 years. These are the last three things that God is going to communicate to his people. Here's the first one. It's an instruction. Remember the law of my servant Moses the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. Now, Horeb's just another name for Sinai. So we think of Sinai where God gave Moses the commandments. What does God want to do? If, if you want to experience my blessing, read the Scriptures. Obey the Scriptures. Know the Scriptures. That's why at North Park we prioritize... Spending time in God's Word. Uh, we're getting ready to January where everybody has new reading plans. And so for us, we follow the Foundation's Bible reading plan. And there's books available. You can sign up online. Um, but that goes this next year. We're going through the whole Old Testament. So we're going to do that Old Testament this next year. And the next year, we'll go back to the New Testament. We're going to do that every other year. And the year after that, we'll go through the whole Bible again. But the Old Testament points forward to, to Christ and who He is. And, and so the the... God tells the Israelites, if you want my blessing, follow my word. My word is a guide. 
After Moses died, God was instructing Joshua on how to be successful. He said in Joshua 1, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to what? Obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Why? Why why does he want him to obey the law? That you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Talk about it. Think about it. Meditate on it day and night. Ruminate on it. So that you be careful to do what? To do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. God ties Joshua's success to knowing, thinking on, and obeying God's word. David says the same thing in Psalm 1. He said, Blessed or happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Why? But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on it day and night. This idea of delight is not something we think of when we think of law. You know, I think one of the best um, things I got out of my first un- my undergrad degree in a Bible class was in an Old Testament Bible class. I never thought about this before. The professor said, do you think that the Israelites were happy to receive the law of God or sad? And we're thinking, well, nobody likes law, right? They're, they're, they're not, they probably didn't like that. We said, think about it this way. All the surrounding nations worshipped these false gods. And they had no idea what those gods wanted from them. So they made up all this stuff. So they're praying to the God of rain, and there's no rain. So they, okay, that didn't work. This next year, let's try this. And they try that and hope the God of rain hears them. And if it works, they go, okay, that's what appeases the God of rain, so we need to do that. But then they do that the next year, and there's no rain. They're like, I don't even know how to worship this God. I don't even know what to do. But the God of the Israelites, the true God, Yahweh, said, this is what it looks like to follow me. These are my commands that I give you. They were actually a joy, a a, a gift to the nation of Israel. And what is the result of following those things? Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. God says, if you want to be successful and prosperous, read my word. God knows what's best for us. Now, I got permission from, from Ben to use his guitar uh, this morning for a little illustration, so I promised I wasn't going to break it or anything. Um, but this is a guitar. It was designed by a guitar maker, a company that makes guitar. This is not to be used, well, it's not designed for things other than being a guitar. If I was attacked in my home and I had my guitar, I could use it to defend myself, but that's not what it was designed to use. If I flip it around this way and I go like this, that is not what the guitar is designed for. Now, if I didn't know how to play guitar and I just got up here and I just started going like this, sorry, he had to turn down the volume, no one would be too happy, all right? So the guitar is designed to play, but it's designed to play certain things. And it's designed for a purpose. When you use it for that purpose, it creates a beautiful sound, unless I'm playing it. But, Anyways, but the point is this. This was designed to play music. As creators designed it for that. Did you know God created you for a purpose? The Bible says we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared for us in advance to do. 
See, God created us with a purpose. But a lot of people walking out there are wondering, why is my life unfulfilled? And they're sitting there and they're going, my life is really frustrating. I have no purpose. And God said, because I created you for a purpose. And those laws that God created, they weren't to hold us down. They weren't to restrict us. Actually, they bring life. When we follow God's commands, it brings life because then we're walking in the purpose that God created us for. I often use the example of a train that's on the tracks, is complaining because it has no freedom. It can only go where the tracks take it. And one day the maker takes the train off the tracks and the train realizes without the tracks, he has no freedom. He's stuck. He can't go anywhere. God created the law. God created the tracks for us And says, if you want to be prosperous, if you want to be successful, if you want to live in the design that I've created you for, walk this way. Read my word. Listen to my word. Meditate on my word. Do my word. Because then you will be prosperous. Then you will experience the freedom, the true freedom found in Christ when we walk in Him. Back to Malachi. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. That's how you will have success. And then, but then there's a warning. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of their children and the hearts of children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Now, this is an interesting one. In fact, uh, you'll find a lot of debate about this and say, who is God talking about? Is Malachi talking about John the Baptist? Well, in, in one sense, yes. Luke 1, and the angel Lord was talking to John, to, about John the Baptist to his father, said, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. So he's the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children. Does that look familiar? That's quoting Malachi 4. The the angel's quoting Malachi 4. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people for the way of the Lord. So, so, okay, it seems like John the Baptist is this Elijah. Jesus in Matthew 11 talks about John the Baptist. He says, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. That's what, that's what, that's the prophecy from Isaiah. That's who John the Baptist is. Verse 13, for all the prophets and the lost prophesied until John. He was the last prophet. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. So Jesus said that Moses is the Elijah. But there's another place where John the Baptist said, no, I'm not Elijah. So is Malachi 4 talking about Elijah when he says this? Well, kind of. Yes and no. I think Matthew 17 gives the best answer. Matthew 17, uh, there's the transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they, they go up, and his face is lit up, and the Father talks to him, and they see Elijah and Moses. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Where is that from? Malachi 4. So these teachers of the law, they they study the Scriptures. 
They said, okay, before the Messiah, before the day of the Lord, you need Elijah. And then Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. That's future tense. But then he says, but I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So what we have here is Matthew 17 is written after John the Baptist has already been killed. And what we see is that this now and not yet idea. In the past tense, John the Baptist did come, and he came as an Elijah-like figure. He came with the power of Elijah. But there will be this later culmination, the second coming of Christ. And before then, there will be Elijah. And uh, now many people, there's getting to end times, there's two witnesses. And many people think one of those witnesses is either going to be Elijah or someone who comes with the power of Elijah, uh, like we had in John the Baptist. And so much of the prophecy in the Old Testament contains this now and not yet. We, we get this idea of Jesus coming to complete part of what is happening, but then we have this future day. And, and so it can be kind of confusing, but we like to think of it like this. When you look at the life of Jesus, the odds of him even you know, fulfilling one of the prophecies of the Old Testament are minuscule. And he filled hundreds. When you look at his life, the place he was born, you know, born to a virgin, all these different things. You look at all these prophecies. We did that last year. Look at, at a number of prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled. And yet, when we look at the prophecies of the Old Testament, we see this this fulfillment first in Christ. He came to fulfill the spiritual elements of these things. But then we see this future day where Christ is going to come and he's going to return as king. And so as believers, we look forward to that. We long for that. But how does the Old Testament end? See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Or if you read the King James, strike the land with a curse. The Old Testament ends with a curse. Why? Because without Christ, all of us stand condemned because of our sin. Paul put it this way in Galatians 3. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Has anyone here been able to in their whole life keep every single thing that's in the law? The answer to that is no. Because Jesus even said, even if you never murdered, if you look at someone with hate, that is the equivalent. See, None of us can perfectly follow the law. Well, there was this one guy. Jesus, the God of the universe, lived a perfect and holy life. The life that we could not live. To pay the death that we could not pay. Continuing in Galatians, skipping ahead to verse 13, Paul puts it this way. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to Gentiles through Christ Jesus. That means that blessing, that was the covenant promise that God brought up time and time again in Malachi, is now given to us through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament ends with a curse. But how does the New Testament end? Well, let's go there. Revelation 22. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. For us as believers, we can look forward to that day. In fact, it should be the thing that gives us the most anticipation, the most excitement, that Christ is going to come and restore all things. There will be no more brokenness, no more pain, no more sorrow. Amen. Let it be so. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Now the Old Testament ends with a curse. The New Testament ends with grace. May the grace of Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Or maybe your translation say, May the grace of the Lord be with us all, be with you all, be with you. What an encouragement. The Old Testament ends with a curse, but the New Testament ends with grace. So how do we wrap up a series on the last book in the Old Testament. I just want to go back to our theme. Return to me. See, the Israelites had walked away from the Lord. But yet the Lord began Malachi by saying this, I have loved you. In the midst of their sin, in the midst of their brokenness, Amidst all the times they turned away from God, all the times they'd been disobedient, all the times they withheld their tithes, all the times they'd, they'd looked at their flock and they had plenty of good sheep and they grabbed the one with a broken leg and they brought it to the temple. All the times they, they committed adultery and, and, and abused each other, all those different things. And God said, I've loved you. And he makes this invitation, return to me and I will return to you. As we think about what follows this, we have 400 years of silence. 400 years of the Israelites going, where is God? Why isn't he saying anything? Why are there no prophets? It was because of their disobedience. But 400 years later, there was this humble little family that was traveling. That's probably not like in the movies, you know. Or it's just Joseph and Mary on a, you know, one of them's on a donkey and they're going and they knock on the hotel. There weren't really hotels, you know, trying to find a place in the end. They're probably traveling with a family, traveling with a caravan of people. And they get there and, and they probably have to stay in the, in the lower guest room where they, where they keep the animals because there isn't room in the, in the house. And the king of all kings, the Lord of lords, the one who created everything, chose to be born in this place reserved for the animals, to be laid in a trough used to feed the animals. Rather than announcing his birth to all the kings and mighty people, who's the first person he announces it to? The shepherds. Now remember, shepherds, they were pretty low on the totem pole. In fact, they had to go through this whole ritual even to come in to worship because they were unclean because of the stuff that they did. That is who was announced. 
The God of all the universe, the King of kings, chose to be born there in a humble beginning. He chose to live as a carpenter, and he chose to then spend three years of ministry going town to town, depending on the, on the generosity of others and upsetting all the religious people by going to people that were sinners or prostitutes, tax collectors, the broken, the needy. He came to seek and save the lost. And that same king purposely did that so he could die and pay your price. He rose again and now he sits victorious. But that king said to you, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All throughout the Scriptures we see Jesus inviting. So today if you're here and you're far from God, just know God is inviting you. Instead of saying, return to me, many times Jesus said, come to me. Maybe that's what the message is today. Maybe you're here today and you need to come to Jesus. You need to give your life to Him. Maybe you're here and you're someone who's followed Jesus, but you've walked away. Maybe you're really frustrated with God because the things in your life haven't turned out the way you wanted them to be. And Jesus says, return to me. Return to me and I will return to you. Or maybe you're someone who's been walking faithfully. And the the message of Malachi is God saying, you are my treasured possession. There's a scroll of remembrance being written about your good deeds. I'm going to come back. And what I do, you're going to frolic like well-fed calves through the fields. I have a promise for you. So whatever situation you find yourself in, this Christmas, as we celebrate, remember that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords was born as a baby, but He was born to die, to save us. And that purpose can give us life and us joy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. Thank You for Your love. Lord, I know I am not deserving of Your grace. Much like the Israelites, there are times where I am selfish. There are times where I focus on the surrounding circumstances rather than who you are and what you've done. I get frustrated. I, I get upset. There are times where I've, I've sinned and I, I've, I've, I've failed you, Lord. There are times where I, I don't obey everything that is in the law. But Lord, I'm so thankful that in those moments you, you meet me. The Hebrews 4 says, I can come before your throne of grace and receive mercy in my time of need. So if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know you, I pray today they will come. All throughout the New Testament, you have your invitations to come. All who are weary and broken, come all who need you. For those that have walked away from you, return. Return to you and you will return to them. For those of us that are walking faithfully, Lord, help us to be excited and anticipatory of that day that is coming, to know you restore all things. In your name we pray. Amen.